let them slip out. Thank you, Mandy and all the praise team for just leading us in worship. Thank you for the special music. You know, I learned a long time ago, I don't have to be a good preacher to do what I do. You just run with good singers. And I get the privilege to do that. So I am eternally grateful. And what a joy it is to be back at Bethel. I have looked forward with great anticipation to being here. You know, there's some places that I'm scheduled to go. I'm not looking too far. Some of them I'm dreading it, to be honest with you. And, but then there are those places that when they pop on your calendar, you're excited. I just enjoyed last night being with Brother Ben and uh, Miss Dawn, and we just had a good time eating and fellowshipping and talking about a whole lot of stuff. You don't even want to know what all we talked about. We can talk about y'all, but it was a lot of stuff. I didn't realize the preacher was so into animals. And, uh, and we had a good time last night just chit-chatting about that and just being here. And I bring you greetings. Many of you women uh, now come to our Women of Joy in Branson, which is a lot of fun. But uh, I bring you greetings from Debbie, my wife. Uh, she really was originally planning to come with me on this trip, but then it uh, had an opportunity to go to see our grandson, one of our grandsons, this birthday's this week. Um, we actually, as a matter of fact, our daughter's birthday is the 24th, our wedding anniversary is the 25th, and our grandson's birthday is the 26th of May. Uh, we didn't plan it that way, it just happened in life. And so she's with them, but I want you, she sends her greetings to tell you uh, that she's, we have five grandkids, three live near us, these two live in North Carolina. Our son-in-law is a minister of music at a church there, and so she got to be with them. But I want to tell you, you're now afraid I'm going to talk about my grandkids. Well, let me just pause and tell you that that's what grandparents do. I hope I'm not getting electrocuted. Am I okay? Am I doing something? Is it good? Let's try it one more time. If it does, I'll, I'll go to that mic. But um, anyway, what was I talking about? Did I say something about grandkids? Oh, yeah, that's always a good topic. I'm glad you asked. Uh, but with grandkids, we have five grandkids. Now, I know people always hate it when you talk about grandkids, but I want to encourage you. Maybe you have young children, and boy, you're having one of those days, and you're just like, I just can't take another day. Hang in there, because one day they'll grow up and give you grandchildren, and that is when you will discover that grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your kids. That's exactly what they are. So you hang in there and be faithful with all of that. I'll also tell you, that one of the things I love to do is collect stories about grandkids. And one of my favorite comes from a man who's now with the Lord. He tells me this was a true story, and I give him the benefit of the doubt. But he was a widower, and they had one daughter who had one daughter. And at the time this happened, the granddaughter was five years old. And he was babysitting her, and she crawled up into his lap and said, Papa, if there was something I knew you would do for me, would you do it? And he said, absolutely, I'd do anything in the world for you. Well, there's something I want you to do, and I want you to do it right now. He said, all right, you tell me what it is, and I'll do it. And she said, I want you to croak like a frog. He said, you want me to croak like a frog? Yes, I want you to croak like a frog. And he said, well, I've never done that, but just for you, I will. So he cleared his throat, and best he could, he croaked like a frog. And when he finished, the little girl jumped off his lap, started running around the room, clapping her hands and yelling, we're going to Disney World. We are going to Disney World. And he said, what makes you think you're going to Disney World? She said, because I heard Mama tell Daddy this morning, when Grandpa croaks, we're going to Disney World. That's the reason why. <laughs> That's why you've got to love 
grandkids. Well, I want you to take your Bible this morning and open it to the book of Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, and I want to show you a phrase that appears not once or twice, but three times in the book of Hebrews. And not only that, it is a quote from the Old Testament. Now, the Bible only has to say something one time to be an inspired, authoritative word from God. But when the Scripture says something on more than one occasion, we ought to pay very close attention to what is being said. And you'll find the phrase first in Hebrews chapter 3, down in verse, uh, verse 7, where the Scripture says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Then notice verse 15. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And then if you go to chapter 4, the last phrase of verse 7, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Now, those three passages of Scripture, along with some others that we could read this morning, very clearly imply that God still speaks to people today. But there is a reluctancy on the part of some to acknowledge that God is speaking to them. You know, years ago when I started preaching, it was nothing uncommon for there to be a service and Maybe the pastor would say, particularly if it was a multi-day revival, maybe the pastor would say something like, does anybody have a word of testimony they would like to give? And people would stand in the congregation, and they would say things like, Pastor, I'd like to testify, God spoke to my heart this week. God spoke to me about some sin in my life. Someone else would say, well, Pastor, God spoke to me about going and making a relationship right. And someone else, God spoke to me about giving a need or God spoke to me about starting this ministry. It was nothing uncommon to hear many people say that God was speaking to them. But in the last few years, I have noticed that I rarely hear anyone say in church, God is speaking to them. So I began to wonder, is it because God has ceased speaking? I don't think so. I just think we've reached a point in our American culture where we are reluctant to say God is speaking to us because there's so many people who seem to be mentally off the rails who are blaming things on the voice of God. I remember several years ago, I was watching the national news program 2020, and the reporter was interviewing a serial murderer from California, a man who was convicted of 15 separate murders. And the prosecutor said and acknowledged that he could not even discern his motive. So the reporter looked at this serial killer and said, Sir, no one knows your motive. Why did you kill these people? And the man looked at him and he said, I did it because God told me to do it. Do you know I've heard people in my travels try to blame everything from having a an affair on their spouse, to stealing from their employer, to every sin you can imagine, and they blame it on the voice of God. Well, can we get one thing clear at the outset of this message this morning? The voice of God never tells anybody to do anything 
that contradicts the Word of God. The voice of God will always be consistent with the Word of God. But now sometimes it's not so black and white. I mean, what do you say if somebody comes to work tomorrow morning and they notify the boss that they're turning in their, their notice? I'll just stay here with this one. In their notice, and, uh, and they say, I'm quitting in two weeks. And so you just look at them and say, well, I guess you have another job. And they say, no, I, I don't have another job. Well, I guess then does that mean that maybe you've inherited some money? No, I haven't inherited any money. Well, does that mean maybe that, that you having some trouble with the boss? No. Well, then why are you quitting? Well, I'm quitting because God told me to quit. Now, we can't be as quick to judge and say God did or did not speak to those people. But when you put all of that together, it seems the only people who say God is speaking to them are people who are trying to justify some terrible decision or what looks to be like a poor business decision. But the end result of that, the end result of that is that when we come to church and God legitimately speaks to us, we are disobedient to his voice because we fear that somebody will look upon us with a skeptical eye if we obey the voice of God. So what I want to do this morning is I just want to share a very simple sermon. I'm not going to tell you anything this morning you don't already know. But I believe over the next few moments that there are several things that God may speak to people about who are seated here this morning. And if you hear the voice of God telling you you need to do one of these things, I can assure you that it is the voice of God. And in a few moments when we have the invitation, if you respond and do what God told you to do, no one in this building will view you with a skeptical eye. For example, I think there's probably several of you sitting here today, and I don't know, but I just know in a congregation this size, there are probably some of you sitting here today, and the voice of God is going to speak to you, maybe has been speaking to you, telling you you need to become a member of this church, that you need to plant your life and membership in Bethel Baptist Church. Now, you know, when I was a young preacher, I rarely said anything about church membership. Because I wanted to make sure that everyone understood that, you know, church membership is important, but it's not essential to salvation, of course. So I just didn't really emphasize church membership. But I got to tell you, as I've studied the Word of God, the Word of God puts great emphasis upon being identified with, involved in, and a member of a local New Testament church. But I'm amazed when I travel and I preach how many people that I've met in my life that, that they come to a church, they come regularly, they faithfully, but for one reason or the other, they have not joined that church. Now, sometimes I think it's because people don't see the importance of church membership. I remember preaching one night, the close of the service, there was a lady, I'm sure a very sincere lady, but she came to me and she said, I won't tell you, I'm not joining this church. I said, well, I would be curious to know why. She said, because I'm not joining any church. And I said, really? Tell me why. She said, because I don't want to be tied to one church. I want to glean from all the churches. 
And she went on to tell me how she was coming to the special day there. And next week, this one was having a seminar. She's going over there. This one's going to have a singing. She's going to go over there. This one's going to have a revival. She's going to go over there. And she's just going to gleam from all the churches. And I looked at her, and I said, well, I'm so sorry to hear that. She said, why? I said, because you're not going to grow as a Christian. I said, because God has sovereignly designed Christian growth to come through our involvement and our membership in a local church. And I told her, I said, let me tell you what's going to happen. You don't realize it, but you're going to go to all those churches, and you're going to be there when they're having a mountaintop experience, when everything is gee whiz and praise the Lord and hallelujah. And we need those experiences. But do you know you don't grow in those experiences? I mean, if you ever go to a mountaintop, the view's great. It's a wonderful experience, but there's not a lot of vegetation and life on the top of a mountain. You know where the growth is? It's in the valley. And you don't grow when you're just running from mountaintop to mountaintop with a group of Christians. You grow when you plant your life with a group of people. You put your membership in a local church, and with the people in that church, you do life together. And yes, you rejoice together, and you have mountaintop experiences, but you also cry together, and you hurt together, and you encourage each other together. That is when you grow as a Christian. But she said, well, I'm just going to go. Because she said, you, so you don't think I can live the Christian life without being a member of the church? I said, no, by your definition... You probably can live a moral Christian life. But I said, but you're not going to grow as a Christian. She said, well, I don't understand that. I said, well, let me explain to you this way. I said, by virtue of what I do, I have to travel a lot. I have to fly a lot, just like I flew here to come to St. Louis to be here at the church. I fly a lot. And I said, I, when I get ready to fly, just like I did yesterday, I went over to nearby Huntsville, Alabama, and I got on a plane, and I don't know why God designed it this way, but all the planes that leave from Huntsville, Alabama, it seems like every one of them, they all go to Atlanta. I, I mean, every time I go somewhere, got to go through Atlanta. I come here yesterday, had to go through Atlanta. I got to tell you, I've done that so much, I think when I die, I'll go through Atlanta before I go to heaven <laughs> and probably be stuck there for two, weeks, two hours waiting to get into glory, you know? And um, that's probably what I figure. But I said, but I want you to think about what often happens to me. As I said to this lady, oftentimes we take off from Huntsville and, boy, we're making good time. We're going to get to Atlanta early. And then the pilot comes on. And he says, folks, they've just told us it's a little congested in Atlanta today. They don't have a landing slot for us yet. So we're going to go into a holding pattern until we're cleared to land. Now, I've flown enough. I can tell you what that means. It means for the next 30 minutes, we're going to go round and round and round in circles. Literally, that's what he does. It's going round and round in circles until he's cleared the land. Now, I want you to think about that plane. It's flying, but it's not going anywhere. And that's the way it is, as I said to that lady. You may be living the Christian life. You may be flying, but you're not going anywhere. Because it's when we plan our life in commitment in one church and with the people of that church, we do life together, and we're committed to that church. And as a result, that's when we get out of the holding pattern, and we begin to grow. And I get amazed when I meet people. They all think they have such a good reason for not joining a church. I was in South Alabama a few years ago, and there was a couple in the church where I was preaching. And these, these two people had the most dynamic 
personality of anybody you've ever met. I mean, boy, they, they just, everybody just gravitated to him. They were such encouraging people. And I remember saying to the pastor, I said, Pastor, you know, you're blessed to have them in your church. I mean, they're the most optimistic, encouraging people. He said, I know. He said, but you know, Phil, that's a peculiar situation. That couple's not members of our church. I said, that couple that everybody loves, no, they're not members of our church. Well, where are they members? Oh, they're members of some church out west somewhere. And I said, well, how long have they been coming to your church? He said, well, I've been the pastor five years in this coming before I got here. He said, in fact, I've asked, nobody in our church can remember a time when they didn't come to our church. And I said, well, why don't they join your church? He said, I don't know. And I said, well, why don't you ask them? He said, because I'm scared to, afraid it'll offend them. They won't come back, and then people will be mad at me. Then I saw that look. I've seen it before. He said, but hey, you leave in Wednesday. Why don't you ask them? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I said, if I get a chance, I, I will. And so I remember we had a luncheon at the church on Wednesday. The lady was there. And I said, ma'am, I said, you know you and your husband, y'all are two of the most encouraging people I've ever met. And, and this church just loves you. Oh, Brother Phil, we love this church. I said, well, you know, they tell me the oddest thing. They told me you and your husband are not members of this church. And she said, well, we're, we're not members of this church. I said, could I be personal and ask why? She said, oh, Brother Phil, I don't mind telling you. We're, you know, we're from out west, and we may move back there someday. And if we do, our church membership's waiting on us. I said, well, how long have you been living here? God is my witness, she said, 42 years. <laughs> I said, you've been living here? Yeah, 42 years. We've been going to this church 41 and a half years, but we may move back there someday. And if we do, our church membership's waiting on us. And I said, well, ma'am, let me share something with you. I said, what you need to do, scripturally, I believe, is go ahead and plant your life in this church, be a member of this church. And if circumstances in life dictate that you have to move back out west, you can always move your membership back. But while you're here, God wants you to be a member. You see, people ask me all the time, well, I just don't know where to be a member. It's pretty simple. Where are you? If this is a place where you're being fed, if this is a place where you're receiving ministry, this is the place where God wants you to be a member. And you know, it's something about taking that step. In fact, that lady wrote me, 42-year lady, she wrote me after she and her husband joined. They joined that night at the church and came and said, we're going to plant our life in this church. In fact, when they came forward, the man said something to the pastor, and the pastor got tickled. And the pastor told the congregation, he said, sorry for laughing, but they actually looked at me and said, we prayed about this long enough. We're going to join your church. <laughs> well, you, you don't have to pray for 42 years about joining Bethel. You know, but that lady wrote me after they joined about six months later. And she said, I want to thank you because she said, I got to tell you, you were right. My husband and I have grown more in the last six months than we did the first 41 and a half years combined. You see, she learned what I'm trying to help you understand. That if you want to get out of that holding pattern and start growing again, then do what God's called you to do and be a part of this church. Now, in a few minutes, we'll give an invitation, and I'm inviting you to come. And you, when you come, you say, Pastor Ben, this is where I want to be a member. Now, it may be you and your spouse. Uh, you can come together and say, this is where we want to be a member. 
Now, you say, well, we didn't talk about it. Well, while I'm preaching, reach over, squeeze your husband or wife, just squeeze her hand real hard one good time, and that's your way of saying we're going to join this morning. And then when we give the invitation, you can come. It may be your whole family, and your whole family you can come and say, Brother Ben, we want to be a part of Bethel. But I'm telling you, some of you, God is going to tell you that this morning, and you need to obey his voice. And when you do, nobody will view you with a skeptical eye, but they will rejoice that you obeyed the voice of God. But let me tell you, there's another group that's going to hear the voice of God. And you're sitting here this morning, and you hear the voice of God speaking to you, saying you need to follow the Lord in believers' baptism. Now, you know there was a time, like church membership, when I didn't say anything about believers' baptism, and primarily because I didn't want to confuse people that baptism was not essential to salvation. And it's true. But in making that point, I failed to make another point. It's true that baptism is not essential to salvation, but it is absolutely essential as an act of obedience and discipleship. Man. You see, once we've given our life to Christ, the first thing he calls us to do is to publicly identify as his follower. And the way we do that is through public baptism. It's when we go and we're, we're really visualizing the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, where we're saying, I, I've, I've come to Christ, I've repented of my sins, I've trusted him, and now I'm identified with him in his death and in his burial and in his resurrection. It is your public way of saying, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. But yet I'm amazed how many people I've met who will say, I'm a Christian, I've trusted Jesus, but they haven't followed him in believer's baptism. And I, I often want to say, well, how are you going to get anywhere? Because how can God tell you step three, four, five, or whatever steps he has for your life, or as we talked about in Sunday school, the purpose for your life? How can God reveal that to you when you're still being disobedient about step number one? Because step number one for the Christian is to follow him in believer's baptism. And yet I might, and some of you sitting here, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you've trusted Christ privately, talking to somebody in your family or friend or a brother being. And, and in a moment, I'm going to ask you, would you be willing to do, we watch people do this in the first service. Would you be willing to come and say, Brother Ben, that's me. I need to, tr I need to follow, I've trusted Christ. I need to follow him in baptism. And he'll set a time in the next few weeks. But it all starts with you saying this morning, that's what I need to do. Man. But I want to take that issue one step further. And I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to make a statement. And when you hear me make this statement, you might initially disagree, but hear me through, and I think you'll agree. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there are people seated here today who maybe are already a member of Bethel Church. You might even be a leader in the church. But you keep hearing the voice of God say to you, you need to follow me in baptism. And you've been wondering, why do I feel that? Well, you may be like a youth minister who came to see me several years ago, he sat in our home, and this was the essence of our conversation. He said, there is something missing in my Christian life, and I don't know what it is, but there's something missing in my Christian life. And he said, I, I don't know what it is. I've done everything I know to do. I've read the Bible through in a year. I, I, you know, I've confessed all my sins. I've done everything I know to do, but I still don't have peace. And I said, well, why don't you tell me your life story? Maybe I can isolate the problem. He said, well, there's not much to tell. I grew up in a, 
a Christian home. I remember we had a vacation Bible school service. I was sitting on a row with a group of boys, and the boy on the end went forward, and then the next boy went, so we just all got up and went. And I remember we got to the front. This lady just told us to go, the preacher told us to go sit in a room, and this lady came in with a board and got our name, address, parents' name, and phone number. And then after got that information, they, they sent us back into the auditorium and said, all I remember is the preacher saying, these boys want to be a part of the church. And even though I was baptized, nobody talked to me, nobody prayed with me, I, I didn't do anything other than just go forward and tell them who I was. But he said, I knew in my heart I had never trusted Christ. And he said, I, I finally went off to college, and when I was in college, I was in a Bible study group, and in that Bible study group, I can remember when I was in that Bible study group, that I admitted I never trusted Christ, and for the first time in my life, I gave my heart and my life to Jesus, and I was saved. And he said, after that, the church asked me to be their student minister. I've been doing that ever since. I said, okay, now tell me, when did you trust Christ? When I told you I, I trusted Christ when I was in college. When were you baptized? I told you I was baptized when I was a little boy. I said, now wait a minute. You trusted Christ at 20, yes, but you're saying you were baptized when you were seven or eight. That's right. I said, young man, let me help you. I think I've isolated the problem. The New Testament is clear. Our baptism is to follow our salvation. In Scripture, it never precedes it. But see what happened to that young student pastor has happened to some of you. If I were to have a one-in-one -one conversation and tell you, tell me about the day you were saved, some of you would point to a day after you had been baptized and joined the church. Or you may be one of those that you're like, I don't know if it was then or if it was then. Then I would ask you this question. What is the Holy Spirit telling you? Because you see, if you watch somebody being baptized and something says, you need to do that. Or when somebody talks about baptism, it's like you get a little nervous because it's like, that's what I need to do. Don't you see that is the voice of God telling you you need to follow the Lord and get it in the proper order? Now, I don't want to mislead any of you. There is nothing magical, mystery, mystical, or different about the water in the baptisteries of the church. I'll go ahead and tell you, it's just water. But there's something about being obedient that brings a joy and a happiness and a victory in your life like nothing else. So, you know, in a few moments when we give the invitation, there are some of you. You need to come. You may need to come and say, Pastor Ben, I, I know I've trusted Christ, but I've never been baptized. I need to do it. And it may be that some of you need to come and say, well, i got to plant my pride aside, and i got to be willing to say, I really came to Christ after I trusted him, and I want to get it in the right order. I watched a lady the other night, 92 years old, make that decision. She said, I have been convicted about my baptism for over 80 years because she said, I know I come to Christ after I did it. And I just want to get it in the right order and have that joy in my life. So you know God's telling you you need to follow him in baptism? Then I want you this morning to come and to say today, that's what I'm going to do. But let me tell you, there's one other group, and I'll mention it briefly, but it is the most important of the three. There are some of you hear the voice of God saying to you that you need to trust Christ. You need to become a Christian. You need to become a follower of Jesus. You know, I've often wondered why when there's people who sit in a service like this who know they need to trust Christ, but for one reason or the other, they don't respond. And I've often wondered why. 
And a friend of mine recently trusted Christ, and I asked him, I said, why haven't you come before? And he said, well, I'll be honest with you, Phil, I was scared to. But he said, here's what I was scared of. I was afraid if I got to the front, the pastor was going to say something to me like, hey, can you name the 66 books of the Bible or the 12 apostles or quote the Ten Commandments? He said, I didn't know what they were going to say, so let me put your heart at ease. We all come to Christ with a childlike faith. So here's what I'm going to tell you. If this morning is the day you know you want to trust Jesus, when you come in a moment to Pastor Ben, you say, Pastor Ben, I am not a Christian and I want to be, I promise you he'll take the conversation from that point and in a simple way that will not embarrass you at all to share with you how you can give your heart and your life to Jesus. You know what I hear from most people after they've trusted Christ in a service like this? The most common comment I hear is, that wasn't nearly as hard as I thought it was going to be. And you see, the devil wants you to think it's complicated. But we come with simple childlike faith to say, I repent of my sins and I give my life to Jesus Christ. And in that simple act of faith, you become a Christian. And some of you, you've been putting it off and kicking the can down the road, and yet you don't know what tomorrow holds. And so I plead with you, would you be willing to give your heart, your life to Jesus today? You see, I don't know what God said to you and what he is saying to you right now. I don't know if it's telling you you need to trust him or, yes, I've trusted him, I need to be baptized, or, yes, I've trusted him, been baptized, but I know I need to be a member of this church. I don't know what he's telling you. But whatever he's telling you, I pray you will heed the words of the writer of Hebrews that if today in this service you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, but do what he is telling you to do. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our musicians are coming. And in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're all going to sing. And you'll know this song. If you don't know it, it's okay. It's not necessary for you to sing. They'll lead us. But it is an old invitational song that says, wherever he leads, I'll go. And the words of that song reflect what I've shared this morning. That when God speaks to you, he wants you to obey. So I want to ask you this morning, with our heads bowed and just while the keyboard is placed very softly, I want you to think, what has God told you to do? I think there's some of you today, God's told you that you, your family, you need to be a part of this church. You put it off, you thought about it, but you haven't done it. But would you be willing this morning to lead the way? Would you be among the first to step out and come in a moment after I pray and we stand? To come say, Brother Ben, I want to be, we want to be a part of this church. It'll get you out of that holding pattern and you'll start growing in your Christian life again. And there's some of you, you need to come say, Brother Ben, I've trusted Christ, but I haven't been baptized. And you may be a young boy, a teenager, you may be a senior adult, it doesn't matter. Maybe you're one of those that you've got it out of order and you need to come say, Brother Ben, I'm coming today because I want to get it in order and I want to get it in the right order. I'm not at peace about my baptism. I want you to come. And today you need to come and say, Brother Ben, I've never trusted Christ. He'll take the conversation from there, share with you how you can accept Christ. And you'll be one of those that says, you know, the devil told me it was hard. But it wasn't that hard. It's childlike faith we come to Christ. And so I'm going to ask you, will you do it? Whatever he's telling you to do. While I'm praying, will you just make your mind up you're going to do it? 
And when we stand in a moment and begin to sing, don't hesitate one second, but you come. Father, as you're speaking to hearts, I pray, Lord, right now, you would give people the courage, even as they're standing, just to keep coming, not even before we can sing a note, just to keep coming to say, I'm doing what God told me to do today. So I'm praising you for those who are coming, obeying your voice right now. For it's in Jesus' name we're praying. Amen and amen. We stand, we sing. You come on right now as God is speaking, won't you? Waiting for you. 